Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. All because of the love of God. And if you're here this morning for the first time, my name is Randy. I'm the preaching minister here at Windsor Road. And uh, we hope that you will connect not only with your mind, but with your heart and with your soul with the love of God. Um, that's what we want this morning. We want, you to be, we want you to connect with that, and we want you to be certain about God's love before you leave here today. And uh, that's why we're starting a new series called It's All About Love. I, I was almost tempted to wear some bell bottoms <laughs> this morning, you know? I mean, and... Uh, um, but uh, we're going to talk about love here between now and the end of the year. And we're going to do that by looking at a letter, a book, actually, in the New Testament called First John. And I brought my object lesson up here, and I don't need it yet. So if I can keep from stepping on it, we'll keep from having applesauce, okay? So take your Bibles, if you have them. I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of First John, First John and we're gonna, I'm just going to read the passage of Scripture that I want to talk about this morning. You will find uh, 1 John uh, near the back of your New Testament. It's on eight, page 862, page 862 of your uh, navy blue church Bibles in the pouch in front of you. Uh, or if you want to take a look up on the screen, you'll find the verses up there as well. I'm going to read the entire chapter of 1 John, it's 10 verses, and then the next two verses going into 1 John chapter 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy, take a look at the footnote, also says your joy, complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, 
and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is God's word. How can I be certain to share my faith if I can't be certain that God loves me? How can I share my faith in a certain way? How can I be confident about sharing my faith if I can't even be certain that God loves me? That question was asked by someone in our congregation a few weeks ago. Remember when I passed out those little cards that, where I asked you to just give me a question about our recent conversation series about having spiritual conversations One of you asked me the question, Randy, I just don't feel confident about sharing my faith because I I just can't even be certain that God loves me. And for the sake of that person um, and for the sake of anybody here who might wonder, you know, can I really be certain that God loves me? Can I be really certain that I belong to God? Can I? It's a question of certainty. And it's not a brand new question. It's a question that existed 1900 years ago near the end of the first century. And it is a question that is answered in this passage of Scripture, the entire book of 1 John. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the Apostle John, by now, think about this for a minute. He's in his 80s. He's not a 47-year-old dad and husband who's in the middle of his career and paying the mortgage and kind of trying to get the kids through college. Not 47. The words that we read this morning were not written by a 47-year-old. They're written by someone in his 80s, maybe even 90. And he's lived, he's lived life. And his name was Grandpa John. Grandpa John wrote these words. And near the end of his life, he's, and he's seen it. He's done it. Hey, all the apostles are dead. Peter's gone. Paul's gone. Uh, remember that John was assigned. When Jesus was on the cross, he asked John to take care of his mother Mary. She's gone. I mean, it's just John now. Grandpa John. And he's near the end of his life. And there's some questions about certainty that's going on. In fact, John has already come back from the island of Patmos, where he was exiled where he received the vision of Jesus about uh, the revelation of Jesus. The book of Revelation was while John was on Patmos. He, you know, one Caesar died, another Caesar came, and, and now John's kind of back in Ephesus now, in western Turkey. And there's some Christians that are wondering about this. How can we be certain about the love of God? And, and John takes his pen, and he wants to write about it and talk about it. It's as if, there's a personal certainty scale in each of us. And we wonder, and maybe you wondered when you came in here, or I'm going to come to church, or I'm going to show up for a small group again, but it's been a lousy week. It's been a tough week. Tough week at home, 
tough, there's a lot of uncertainty now going on in our country. Can we be certain about anything? What's your personal certainty scale read these days? And you're tempted to think, well, okay, with all of this uncertainty, maybe we can't be certain about the one person we ought to be certain about, God and his love. What's your personal certainty scale this morning? Is it at a, you know, maybe a, a one where you think, I, I just can't really, man, I can't, I am, it, there's just a dome of cloudy uncertainty over me. Well, the apostle John would say, I want you to be certain. You can be certain. Certain about God's love. Certain about God's favor. Certain about God's grace. Certain about God's care for your life. I want you to be at a 10. In fact, I'll tell you the one verse that summarizes everything that John's going to tell us. It's over in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. It's up on the screen. It's in your Bibles. It's a verse about certainty. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, that's a verse that talks about certainty. So, so then how can we be certain? See, that's the question, isn't it? How can we be certain about the love of God? Where do we go? And this is what's answered in 1 John chapter 1. And so this morning, I want to talk about what we just read here earlier this morning. And I'm going to put my glasses by my applesauce, and I'm going to have glasses sauce if I step on them, too. But in these verses, I, I, I want you to think about this. I want to give you three mental images, three pictures. When you think about certainty, I want to give you, I want to give you three images. And the first image is a ladder. Okay? Right? Recognize that ladder? It was up there Friday morning. Okay? I want you to think of a ladder. I want you to think of an apple. There it is. Okay? Ladder, apple, lawyer. When you think of 1 John chapter 1 through 1 John 2, 1 and 2, I want you to think of a ladder. I want you to think of an apple. And I want you to think of a lawyer. And John kind of takes us through a journey <laughs> up a ladder, eating an apple, okay, and then seeing a lawyer to help us understand the certainty of God's love. Okay? Let's talk about the ladder first, all right? Let's go back to John's day. It's near the end of the first century. Now, we're talking, imagine us being the church where John pastors. And, and it's near the end of the first century. And so we're talking second and third generation Christians. I'm looking out in this room here this morning, and there's, there's grandparents, there's parents, there's children. And, 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 and imagine the room being such that the grandparents have gone. Well, who are these grandparents? These were the grandparents who actually heard the apostles they, they heard about the testimony of the apostles about Jesus Christ. And then they shared that faith on to their, 
their children, now their grandchildren. And here we are, the second and third generation. And it's near the end of the first century. And some of those children and maybe many of those grandchildren begin to think, well, you know, okay, okay, we got the deal down on Jesus. We got Jesus down, but I mean, all right, we've been around, we've been doing the church thing for quite a while. Okay, well, okay, well, okay, we get the Jesus deal, and we kind of, we're up at the top of the ladder. Okay, what's next? What's next? You know, there's, some, there's certainly something beyond. I mean, okay, we got Jesus, okay, well, what's that? You know, what, what's next? And, and some of them were actually asking that question. And they begin to answer that question like, well, I mean, what's after Jesus is, we just, you know, maybe we just need to know more. We need knowledge. We need to explore the spiritual knowledge. And, 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 and so groups in Western Turkey started developing who were called, listen to this, the knowing ones. The knowing ones. Because they begin to emphasize, we need, okay, we got the Jesus thing down, but let's go beyond Jesus and, and, and let's focus on, on special, spiritual, mystical knowledge. The knowing ones, knowledge. And that's where we get this term, Gnostic. Gnosticism. And we have the Da Vinci Code movie to thank us for, for reminding us of, of this, this group that kind of began to form. The Gnostics, the people that, that emphasized you know, okay, we got the Jesus drill down, but let, let's, let's, let's see what's after the lad. Let's see what's beyond that. Let's focus. And the Gnostics were a major problem on into the second century. And, and they focused on two truths, two truths. The first truth was knowledge is everything. Education's everything. Spiritual education, mystical education. You just, let's just, you know, and, and, and you say, well, what's the content of that? Well, you know, if, if, if you have to ask that question, then, then you haven't arrived. Oh, okay, all right. Knowledge, so, so keep trying. Knowledge is everything. The physical body is nothing. Physical, knowledge is everything. What, what, spiritual life is one thing. Physical is, is something else. And they begin to emphasize this more. Do you see how kind of elitist this could become? Where you begin to focus on just, and you separate the two. So much so, get this. Now, I hope in the next two minutes you're going to be thinking, okay, Randy, thank you for the History Channel. What's it have to do with my life? Good. If you're thinking that right now, I got you right where I want you. Okay. Special spiritual mystical knowledge. Don't worry about the some of to the degree that some of these groups, these knowing ones, these Gnostics, would do the absolute profanest things with their bodies. And we're talking about dirty thoughts, dirty words, dirty deeds. Why did they do that? Just to prove that you could separate the two. That you had your spiritual life, then you had your physical life. And it just really didn't even matter, okay? See? See? You say, well, what does that have to do with today? Oh, my. Oh, Gnosticism still lives today. We just call it different things, you know? We call it different things. It shows up where people say, well, this is my personal and private life. What I do with my personal and private life is different than what I do with my public life. See? We've kind of heard that before. And I don't know how it is in your world, but I'll tell you how it is in preacher land. In preacher land, among ministers or televangelists or even missionaries, I mean, it's, it, it can be a problem. And the problem is this. 
where you have a minister or a missionary or a televangelist take a stage like this or lead a congregation, very public, very underneath the lights, and then back in some closet somewhere, they've got a problem with porn. Or they've got some problem with some secret, dark closet kind of thing. You say, well, Randy, how does that affect you? Well, it can affect me if I don't have accountability people in my life to ask me the hard questions. Followed by the last question, have you just lied? You see, that, that's what was going on. This division between what's going on in my spiritual life and what's going on in my public. It's two different things. And if you buy into that, then, then you know what's going to happen? There won't even be so. You have defined the word sin out of existence. Does that make sense? And that's what was going on in the first century. And that's what John is addressing here. And that's why John says, that's why John says in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And then he says this, look at this. Verse 6 and verse 8 and verse 10 all begin with the phrase, if we claim. You see that? Why, why do those verses begin that way? John says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk. We see some were claiming that. Some were saying, hey, you can, have, you can live these two different lives. It's okay. You see, it's okay. You, it, and John says, no, it's not okay. Grandpa John says, no, it's not okay. It's not. I've been around the block. I know. It's, no, it's not. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin. Some of them were saying that they were without sin. They were without sin. John says, really? Really? And then, and then look at verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned. See, they were, you say, well, verse 8 and verse 10 are the same. No, they're, they're, they're different, and here's how it is. And this is, I want you to write this down. Before you have sinned, you have sin. Does that make sense? Before you have sinned, you ha- in other words, sin is in our nature. We inherited it from our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve. And, 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 and people say, I, I've heard people say this before, and maybe you hear it in your place of business. Well, I believe that people are inherently good. I think that sounds noble. Ask this question, compared to what? People are inherently, okay, compared to what? Say, compared to what? Well, compared to Jesus? Oh, well, compared to God is light? You see what I'm saying here? And here's where we talk about the apple. See, before you have sinned, you have sin. Before you have, listen, inside of this, you know what's inside this apple? An ocean of apple orchards. And oh, why? Because you see, there's seeds inside of this. And this thing drops from the tree, and it, cultiv- it gets cultivated in the right kind of soil. What's going to happen? Now it's going to pop up some saplings and some other trees, and then, and then they're going to have their apples, and pretty soon it came from one apple, you see, one apple. We read stuff about the news, 
and we say, I cannot believe, I can't believe that that elementary grade school kid gunned down his dad. What? Or we, we read about the atrocities that we say, I, would, I could never do that. Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. Why? Because there's, there's an ocean of apple orchards in every apple. And, and, you know, if I don't have the right checks on my heart, if I don't have the right relationships, if I don't... I, I've said this before, church family. I think that my job helps me be a, I'll put it this way, a better Christian than I would otherwise. I think so. Because I got accountabilities in check. You all help me be accountable. And, 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 and I'm not perfect. And we're going to find out what to do about that later. But please don't, un, don't underestimate the, the apple that's in your heart. And if, if you deny that, then you're going to find yourself living up on a ladder. And, and you know what? You can't have fellowship on a ladder. You can't, have, you can't have community on a ladder because there's somebody always above you or somebody always below. No, we're not meant to live on a ladder. See? And you can't be certain about God's love on a ladder. Ladder? Apple, John says, no. We claim that we have not sinned. We, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in And so you can't be. Well, so then John says, how can we be certain about God's love? See, certainty doesn't come on a ladder. Certainty doesn't come. Your, your problem isn't you're ignorant. The problem is we're in rebellion, that we have, we have, we have obstructed fellowship with God. We're designed to have fellowship with God. And so John tells us that if we're going to be certain about God's love, it's not going to be through a, a list of knowledge points. Our certainty about God is going to come through a person. And that's why John begins the first four verses with that which was from the beginning. Notice, if you compare 1 John with Ephesians or Romans or other, you know, usually the author is identified first, right? So that's why some don't think that this was so much a letter as much as it was like a, a booklet or a teaching tract. And John begins with the proclamation, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at. It's almost like this is, this is a crescendo here. Grandpa John is saying, look, I've, I heard Jesus speak. I saw him. My eyes were transfixed on him. Haven't you ever spent time around maybe, you've seen maybe a celebrity or somebody in your eyes you think is important, and you just sit there and you just look at them for a while. You're just looking at them. They're not even up on stage, but they're in the room. You're just looking at them. Why? Well, because they're important to you, and you just, you just want to look at them. You know, and, and, and you're just transfixed on them. See, you go, you go to a sports game or you go, you know, you go see a, you see a famous sports figure or something and they're just, you're just looking at them. You're transfixed them. You're, you're, you know, you're seeing them drink Gatorade and you're going, wow, that's amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it kind of goes down their chin too like it does mine. Wow. You're just transfixed on that person. I mean, that's, maybe I'm the only one that does that, okay? John is saying, for three and a half years I did that to God in the flesh. And I not only heard him, I saw him, I was transfixed on him, and I touched him, you see. 
I touched him. There was none of this separation of spiritual life and public life because our God is a God of integrity, integrating all. And and he says this, the life appeared. Notice that. See, Christianity is not a set of knowledge points. Christianity is about a person. It's about Jesus. John says Christianity is about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. We do not want you to spend time in this church to learn bullet points. What we want you in this church is to pursue a person, and his name is Jesus. And verse 2 says, the life appeared. Notice it doesn't say that he was born. Well, you mean he was? Yes, he was, but that's not what John's point is. The life appeared. What's, what's John trying to say? Christianity is the only religion on the face of the earth with, which teaches that its leader, his origin, was not from earth. His origin was from heaven. The life appeared. We have seen it. Again, I've seen it. We testify to it. And this we proclaim to you concerning the eternal life, which was with the Father, remember his origin, and appeared to us. And we proclaim him to you. Why? So that you may have fellowship. See, the, the point of Jesus appearing was so that we can be certain that we have fellowship with God. You come here today. God, God wants to have fellowship with you. You, you think, you know, God's just torqued off at me. He's mad at me. He's, he's going to swap me. God wants to have fellowship with you. And what does that mean? That means the side door is unlocked. Come on in. You don't have to knock. That means you have refrigerator rights. That's what that means. You just you come into the kitchen, and if you need something from the coming. See, that's, that's what we're talking about. We're talking fellowship. But the deal is, and this is what John's trying to combat, you got to take the ladder down. You can't, you can't have fellowship on a ladder. And you got to deal with this apple, see? Because our disobedience, our sin, obstructs fellowship with God, because God is light, and God doesn't do darkness. God is pure. God is holy. And so he's got to deal with this ocean of apple. Well, how's that going to happen? Oh, that's where we get to the lawyer. huh? The ladder, the apple, and the lawyer. First John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, anybody sin here in this room? Well, if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Stop right there. Some of your translations have the word advocate, right? Look in your translations. If it's an English Standard Version or New American Standard Bible, my dear little children, I'm writing these, these things to you. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. That is, that's the word for lawyer, a legal advocate, one who stands in our defense. You see, John gives us a picture of entering into a courtroom. And you enter into a courtroom, and, and, and most people who are called into a courtroom and they appear for a judge, most people have a lawyer with them, right? Why? Talk back to me here for just a minute. Why do most people, when they enter a courtroom and, and they're going to appear for a judge, do they have a lawyer with them? Why? 
to defend. But why do you why do you need a lawyer to defend you? Because you're guilty. <laughs> we have one honest person in this church, and thank you. Yeah. Why can't you? Why why don't you speak? Yeah. That's exactly right, Karen. You must have read my sermon. So anyway, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the lawyer knows what to say. See, I don't know what to say. You know what? I have been into a courtroom in the last 20 years. I've been into a courtroom twice in the last 20 years, and and, uh, both times it was for jury duty. I was summoned for jury duty, and... uh, uh, but I've only been to a courtroom twice in, in the last 20 years, which, which, by the way, I hope is of encouragement to you about your pastor. I mean, you know, so, but uh, the previous 20, yeah. I'm not talking, that's my private life, Roger. <laughs> Go back to the Ukraine. No, I'm kidding. Oh, where was I? I was in court. I need a lawyer. Because the lawyer knows what to say. And Jesus, John says, Jesus is our advocate. And he stands before the courtroom of the Father. The Father. Now, there's not a courtroom in this country that would allow a father to preside over a trial in which the father's child was the defendant. See, that's called a conflict of interest. Right? But you know what? Our God the Father... He is a, see, he's not like us. He is totally impartial, totally impartial. And so we stand before the court, and we have an advocate who pleads to the Father. And, and, but here's the deal. You see, when the advocate in, in Champaign County Courthouse, when, when that lawyer stands with the defendant, that lawyer pleads the defendant's case. But when, but when we're with Jesus... Our advocate, he does not plead our case. He does not plead our record. You know what he pleads? He pleads his record. He pleads his case before the Father. He says, Father Randy is with me, and I am his advocate, and I am his legal proxy. And so what's true of me is true of him. And so, Father, by law, apply my righteousness to his life. And that's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? Just. It doesn't say he's faithful and merciful or faithful and gracious. It says he is faithful and just because God the Father hears from Jesus. If we belong to him, he is our legal proxy. Then Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' holiness, Jesus' perfect life is applied to my life, and I'm cleansed. See? That's why we can be certain. We can be certain about the love of God, not because of my case or my record, but because of Jesus' record. You see, you say, how did that happen? Well, keep reading. You see, what was true of me then was applied to him. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world, you see. On the cross, Jesus took all of my dirtiness so that before the Father with him, 
I can have all his righteousness. That, friends, is why we can be here this morning. And that, friends, is why we can be certain. Are you? You you can be certain. Here it is. You can be certain about the love of God if you know the Son of God. Do you? Fanny Crosby uh, wrote uh, really thousands of hymns. She was a hymn writer, prolific hymn writer. And, um, and some of you know this, some of you don't, but Fanny Crosby was blind. And um, she once said, I think that God allowed me to live in physical darkness so that I could write hymns and help people live in his spiritual light. What a perspective. And then she said this. She said, I think that if I, go ahead, uh, Elizabeth, come to the piano. And will you, you know, start playing that little tune there just whenever you're ready, very lightly. She said, I think that if I would have had sight, I would have been too distracted to write the thousands of hymns that I what an attitude. And one day, she was over at a friend's house. And they sat down at the piano together, and the friend um, started playing this tune, okay? And um, they played it for a little bit. Let's listen to that. And the friend said, Fanny, what does that sound like to you? Listen to that tune. What do you think when you think of that tune? And you know what Fanny Crosby said? She just said to her, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And that's how that hymn and that tune were married together. And I hope Jesus is yours this morning. I want you to be certain about it. His love. And if you're not today, you can be. You can know that Jesus is your God. And I'm going to make this offer that I made a couple weeks ago. We got some towels in the back. And you can take a towel this morning. You can confess Jesus in your heart and receive him as your king. And then you can demonstrate that. Baptism is a demonstration of devotion. You can do that today. But we're going to sing this hymn, and then we're going to, this is going to take us right into communion. And uh, let's just spend some time worshiping the one who makes our salvation certain. Listen, Jesus is our attorney. He's never lost a case. He's never lost a case. And of that, you 